This is Dan Wilson Uncancelled. Let's go. Well, my next guest is best known as the banjoist and lead guitarist in one of the world's biggest bands. Winston Marshall was a founding member of Mumford & Sons and had 14 hugely successful years with the iconic folk rock band. During his time with Mumford & Sons, they released two chart-topping albums, won two Brits, a Grammy, and performed to hundreds of thousands of their adoring fans in countless sold-out arenas. But in March 2021, Winston found himself under attack from the cancel culture mob because he lauded a book investigating Antifa written by Andy Ngo, the American journalist who was a guest on my show last year, actually. Posting about books was a theme of Winston's social media during the pandemic. It wasn't a new thing. But that tweet was met with hysterical and shocking abuse from the far left of the grandson of Holocaust survivors, who was ludicrously branded a fascist. After apologising and taking a leave of absence to protect his bandmates, Winston took the personal decision to permanently quit the band against his bandmates' wishes last June. He said he sacrificed doing what he loved to avoid self-censorship and so that he could speak freely about politics without leaving Marcus, Ben and Ted exposed to the viral mob's vicious assaults. But ironically, his voice outside Mumford & Sons has made him one of the world's most influential new commentators. He's now launched a brilliant new podcast uh, with The Spectator, Marshall Matters, that explores taboo issues within the creative industries and has interviews with big-name guests like American Pie singer Don McLean. And I'm delighted to say that Winston Marshall joins me. Now, Winston, your case was one of the most egregious, one of the most shocking examples of the cancel culture mob in full force because literally all you did was say that you'd read a book. That was it. Well, firstly, thanks for having me on the show. It's great to have you here. And uh, uh, that was a very flattering (laughs) introduction. I'm not sure uh, I can uh, agree that uh, one of the world's most important commentators, far from it. But, uh, yeah, it was a a, a completely bizarre scenario. As you said, I was tweeting about books, and uh, one of the books was uh, Andy Noe's book that documents far-left extremism, and somehow it turned into uh, a big story. It wasn't even... The tweet itself was... Flatter. I, I said it was an important book, and I thought it was because uh, at the time I understood it to be the only book documenting far-left mm. extremism in the States, and uh, that he was a brave guy, and he was uh, certainly a brave guy. Not only had he been attacked beforehand, but uh, in the period uh, after uh, my initial apology and before deciding to uh, step away, leave the band, uh, he was attacked again, and video footage mm. of his him being attacked in, in, um, in Portland... Uh, came out on, on on the internet, and when I saw that, I, I felt I I really not. It's not okay that I've apologised to these people, to these extremists, because that's what it felt like. Because you felt like you were giving in. Because I felt like I was participating in the lie uh, that uh, these uh, uh, people are, are doing good, and uh, and that's a that's a that's, that lie runs deep in America, particularly. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure Antifa is really a thing here here in England. Um, uh, uh, they call themselves Antifa, but actually, if you look at their behaviour um, by their fruits, you will know them. And, and it's very much the behaviour of fascists. But it's it, you even had Biden in the in the election saying Antifa is just an idea. Mm. And these people have literally killed people in the states. And uh, and it's organised. It's well. organised, and uh, they've burnt down uh, federal courthouses. 
and it's it's like absolutely shocking, repugnant behaviour uh, that we're seeing, and it's not okay. So, uh, no, but the idea was that if you call out far left extremism, according to the liberal cancel culture mob, you must be a far right extremist. Yeah. which is what you were accused of, which is, of course, patently ridiculous because there's nothing in your history, nothing in your interests, nothing in your comments to suggest that you're that at all. Mm. Well, um, uh, as you said in, in your introduction, my grandmother was a Holocaust survivor. It's ludicrous to uh, uh, put me in, in that category of things. But, and, and, and not only does social media sort of promote this binary uh, thinking uh, um, uh, amongst all of us, and I'm probably fallen prey to it uh, occasionally myself, but... Uh, it's, it's word games, you know, Antifa. Well, if you're against, against Antifa, then you must be mm. pro-far, which is absolutely not the case. Um, but I guess that's a consequence of, of these short tweets and, and, and short thinking. Isn't it a shame, though, that we can't have these conversations amongst celebrities? It feels to me that high-profile folk in the music industry, in the film industry, in the TV industry, and I know a lot of them very often do have a controversial view, but they're simply too scared to express it because of exactly what happened to you. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So it's my opinion, or uh, from what I, how I've seen it, is that the music industry is a very small industry, and, and I would say it's dominated by progressives. Um, and um, that's normal. I think in all mm -hmm. industries, yeah. you're going to have... A, 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 if like-minded people are going to tend to have the same... Uh, Ideas. I imagine if you had uh, you looked at the uh, the city and, and finance, you probably have more free marketers and conservatives. I imagine it's it's, it's kind of normal. But uh, in the in the music industry, there are certainly dissenters, and um, they've many of them have, have reached out to me uh, uh, privately. Um, some of them I, I'm now uh, thrilled to be working with, and I, I hope I can come back to your show with uh, a new, uh, these new projects, uh, music projects, as they emerge um, in, in the future. Um, but there are people with, who, who, who have the courage um, to stand up to these people. But it's So you're going to form a new band? Is that, is that what you're hinting at? You'll have to invite me back. Um, that sounds exciting. Yeah. In the meantime, I'm working on uh, this podcast at The Spectators. Yes, which mentioned. is brilliant. I'm a listener. Uh, thank you. And, um, and I've had a variety of people, not just... Um, uh, say uh, liberals, but progressives mm. as well, and um, conservatives. Everyone's welcome. I, 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 I'm a believer that you can of have course. friends with people. Just like on this show, I, I want to hear from all sides of the spectrum. Can you understand why some Mumford and Son fans were disappointed with the band? I know you have always been very positive about your bandmates, but there was a view that they didn't support you enough. They, they should have stood up for you more and they should have made it completely clear that you could have stayed within the band and had differing political views. I wanted to protect the band because I hit a hot-button issue and uh, there are a few of these hot-button button issues. It might be Palestine, it might be uh, the trans debate um, and these issues do ig ig uh, ignite the... The, the the worst sides of, of uh, the debates and and, 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 and people and and uh, that was a regret of mine that I'd done that it was an accident um, but I didn't think it was fair on them for for them to come under the bus with me so I thought the best best thing best thing to do was to walk away
do you still have a positive relationship with them today? I, 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 I really, I, I want that band to, um, you know, be successful, and, and, and I'd hate for, any, you know, what I've done to, to bring them down. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I wish them nothing but the best. Censorship in the music industry is becoming worse, though. I mean, it was interesting to look at the Spotify debate over Joe Rogan, where various high-profile artists believed that he should be deplatformed, that he should be banned from yeah, Spotify. I mean that, and some of them even took their music off Spotify. It was a really bizarre scenario. And you, you, it was Neil Young, mm. Crosby, Stills and Nash. Mm. I th- uh, it was a jo- few months Joni ago now. Mitchell, Joni Mitchell. Yeah. And, um, These people who you would have imagined would have been pro-freedom of speech. Well, their whole careers are based on the idea of expression. And yeah. they were against <clears throat> uh, freedom of expression. It seems now to be to be clear, they weren't uh, uh, arguing ag- against Joe Rogan's uh, First Amendment rights or anything. But they said that if you, if Spotify didn't remove them from uh, Joe Rogan from Spotify, that they themselves mm. would uh, uh, come down. So that's not. It's not just them exercising their freedom of association. They're specifically asking for Joe Rogan. To be removed, yeah, so they're targeting to lose his someone job. else. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, uh, they're they're specifically targeting him uh, or a pe- speech that they dislike to be removed. Mm. So it's not just freedom of association; it's it's a culture against freedom of, mm. of expression. Which is That's exactly a- what we saw with Netflix and Netflix employees with Dave Chappelle as well. It's happening more and more often in in your world, your industry. Yeah, and and. I, I hope uh, that there will be a turning point. That, that when does that come and, and how does that come? Is it more people being like you and saying, you know what, the, the Grammys were great, uh, the big concerts were great, but actually I'm going to have to take a stand to hell with what it does to my reputation in the industry? Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know the answer to that. I think on the one hand, you'd hope that there's a, if there's a critical mass of people that go, actually, enough's enough, this is ridiculous, then you might have a change in that culture. But as I said earlier in the, in the, in the interview, I'm not convinced that within those industries, let's say Hollywood or uh, the music industry, uh, that, that there is ever going to be a critical mass because I think that they might be majority progressive industries. Mm. And so I do think it's a problem of progressivism or, or contemporary progressivism of this idea of shutting down speech and being against freedom of expression. No, I completely agree, which is why what you did was particularly brave, so you will be continuing to speak out now. Well, I've, now that I've, I've given up so much for it, I'm not going to shut up. <laughs> and do you feel confident enough to do that? I'm building my confidence up, slowly. As you said before it started rolling, you, you invited me on back in, uh, in June last yeah. year, and it took me however many months it is to finally pluck up the courage. To <laughs> Ten months to. later, you made it in. <laughs> I got you in the end. Well, no, look, I've been really impressed, Winston. You've, you've done incredible things. I think more people in the music industry, more people in the TV industry, more people in the movie industry need to speak up because, of course, there is going to be a power in numbers. I understand what you're saying, that a lot of them are progressive, but at the same time... There are many, many folk there, because I see the messages that I receive, who are against the censorship but are too afraid because of the consequences. So I do hope that that changes. 
Yeah. Well, actually, that was what was so uh, uh, insp inspiring to me is, is when I did announce that, uh, or not inspiring, worrying to me, I should say. When I did uh, leave the band, I published a letter explaining why, and I got quite literally thousands of letters from people saying they couldn't speak because they uh, worried they would lose their job, lose friends, and for most people, they can't afford to lose their job or their careers because, firstly, they can't, uh, they've got mortgages, they've got families to support, that, that's a big deal. And, and, and not only that, careers are hard to build up. They yeah, take yeah, yeah, yeah. decades, and, and why, why throw that away? And maybe, and you might argue, well, just keep quiet. What's the big deal? But if you keep, keep sh keeping Sturm and you, and you keep nodding along to things you disagree with, that, that wears away at the soul. Exactly. And that's not a good place for us to be in as a society. Perfect point to end it. Winston Marshall, host of the Marshall Matters podcast and former member of Mumford & Sons. Pleasure to have you tonight. Thank you, Dan. Mark Dolan is tonight's outsider. Now, the keep calm and carry on attitude exemplifies our monarchy and in many ways it's made this country great. But in yet another example of the king of hypocrisy, Prince Harry, attacking Britain and the royal family, he has now slammed the stiff upper lip approach used by ordinary folk in the UK to get by. Remember when he brazenly advised mere mortals stuck in jobs that don't bring them joy to quit? Well, he's dishing out the advice again, and this time he's telling us to, you know, just get a therapist. Dedicated to the cause of improving mental health outcomes. But in the UK in particular, it was sometimes an uphill battle. Read about the cultural differences. They're immense. You know, you talk about here in California, you know, I'll, I'll get my therapist to call your therapist. Whereas in the UK, it's like therapist, what therapist, who's therapist? I don't have a therapist. No, I definitely don't. I've never spoken to a therapist. 99.9% .9 of people on planet Earth are suffering from some form of loss, trauma, or grief. It doesn't matter what age you are, but the majority of us have experienced a lot of that in our younger years. Therefore, we've forgotten about it. So that was Harry speaking in his uh, job as Chief Impact Officer with San Francisco-based Uberwoke, £4 billion executive coaching business, Better Up. Mark Dolan... Uh, has there ever been a better illustration of a member of the royal family being so woefully out of touch with the lives of ordinary Brits who, who can we just remind him, Mark, are in the midst of a massive cost of living crisis? I mean, does he have any idea how much therapy costs? I'll get your therapist to call my therapist. How much does a therapist cost? A hundred quid an hour, probably. And in, yeah. in Hollywood, a thousand quid an hour and the rest. It seems like Prince Harry, Dan, is competing with Prince Andrew to be the world's most unpopular prince. I've got post-traumatic stress disorder listening to that nonsense. He actually said that he'd been around soldiers recently and he, quote, started to realise parts of my own story were being mirrored or reflected in that. Now, he's talking about soldiers coming back from war, literally shaking with fear from what they've been through. This guy needs to get over himself. As you rightly said, another attack on Britain from the luxury of his Montecito mansion. Uh, it's an insult. And by the way, I think therapy, of course, if you've been through a trauma, anyone watching this programme should reach out because help is always there. But this obsession with therapy is now an industry, and of course, Dan, an industry that Prince Harry is part of. As you said, he was there representing Better Up, a coaching and mental health company who are paying him a fortune. Exactly. This is all about lining his own pockets, Mark. Absolutely agree with that. 
I think what I find particularly frustrating about his comments is the fact that he always has to make an anti-Britain dig and he also has to make an anti-royal family dig. And I think what is so crass about it, Mark, is you think about the two royals who in recent times have best exemplified the stiff upper lip approach and it's the Queen and it's Prince Philip, his grandmother and his grandfather who... He keeps telling us he adores. Well, Harry, stop slagging them off in public. Well, you're absolutely right. And I think that stiff upper lip is the best thing about this country, because obviously, um, if there are problems in your life, you talk to people. Uh, but I think now that we've essentially reared a generation who are obsessed with their mental health. And I think there's a very big difference between a major trauma or severe clinical depression and just feeling a bit unhappy. And unfortunately, Prince Harry appears to be the king of the snowflake generation. And I don't think that these comments about uh, the royal family and about Britain are acceptable, given the fact that he has left. He's in America. Why does he continue to lob these poison arrows in our direction. And how dare he criticise the monarchy and the royal family whilst hanging on to those titles of Duke and Duchess of Sussex. He's not the Duke of Sussex. He's the Duke of hypocrisy. Well, indeed. And, and Mark, look, 100%, I agree with you. If you want to get therapy, if you think that is going to help you, absolutely fine. But... He's talking about a approach, a country by country approach, a philosophy. And I just think, let's look at members of the royal family. So mm -hmm. the Queen and, and Prince Philip lived through World War II, part of our greatest generation. The Queen was in London as Buckingham Palace was bombed. Now, the pair of them, as far as we know, never had therapy in their lives. Then you look at the royals who had a lot of therapy. Fergie, Harry's mother, Diana, Harry himself... And they're messed up. I mean, all I'm saying is that it doesn't work for everyone. And actually, for some people, the stiff upper lip approach is best. Well, that's right. And if you look at California, where everyone's got a therapist, they're all bonkers, Dan. Mm. And I loved your piece in the Mail Online. I read your columns religiously mm. in the Mail Online. And you wrote you about much. Harry. And well, uh, you know, because it's compelling journalism and it's suffused with the truth. And you actually pointed out, because I think that in your heart, you've got deep sympathy for this guy. Um, yes. We all loved Harry. He was a carefree, fun-loving um, national treasure. I think second only to the Queen in terms of popularity back in the day. Yes, yes. Um, he was, wasn't he? He was, he was just, you know, such a character. He liked to drink. He was a bit naughty. Um, and he was a dashing young prince. But he gave all of that up when he fell in love with the Princess of Woke, um, the woman that broke up the royal band, Yoko Mono herself, Meghan Markle. <laughs> he hasn't been he, he hasn't been the same since Dan. But as you pointed out in that article, you said that you genuinely don't think this guy is happy, and I yes. think that was really perceptive. And you know, the bottom line is that notwithstanding our, our criticism of this couple and their hypocrisy and frankly their lies at times, um, you know, we want them to be happy. They've got two gorgeous kids. She's a very beautiful woman, and and you know, he's an international. Celebrity, um, but but you know this the negativity, the toxicity, the backbiting. It, it's it's unseemly, it's unjustified, and it's unfair. But I think the root of it, as you say in that article, is that he's not happy. So therefore, all this therapy is not working, and he should ask for his money back. Mark, I think you're completely right, and it's very important to raise it. Actually, since Prince Harry has entered into this toxic relationship with Meghan, since she's come in and literally wrestled him away
from his blood relatives, wrestled him away from those people who got him through those really difficult years, including his brother, Prince William, and his sister-in-law, Kate, who were such important figures in his life. Since that happened, Mark, he has been incredibly low, incredibly unhappy. And I really do think there's a connection there. I think Meghan has come in like a wrecking ball and she said, you don't need anyone else. You don't need these people from your former life. You only need me. And she has indoctrinated him with this woke mumbo jumbo. And I believe we've got a very unhappy prince as a result. Uh, but Mark, just quickly, you're obviously here Friday, Saturday, Sunday. What do you have coming up for us? Well, I'm very excited because uh, we're going to debate marriage. You know that the age of marriage is going up to 18 yes. in England and Wales. We'll ask whether marriage is still a good idea, Dan. And we'll be asking the Hamiltons and the Crankies all in one <laughs> particular slot on the show. So that's going to be a Goodness mega interview. Me. Can't wait for that. Goodness me. Mark Dolan here at 9pm tomorrow night. Mark, thank you so much. Time now for Uncancelled. And this is where Britain's top commentators speak out on controversial issues without the fear of the cancel culture sweeping the rest of the media. And with hysterical leftists crying a litre of tears for each of the £35 billion Elon Musk spent buying Twitter, they'll soon need an arc to save themselves from their own whining. But <laughs> they have their very own public meltdowns just exposed. Uh, I think they've actually exposed a bias problem that has forced the world's richest man to step in. And last night, Elon Musk delivered a slew of telling tweets outlining his intentions, the first of which referenced Donald Trump's newly launched Twitter rival. Musk said, Truth Social, terrible name, exists because Twitter censored free speech. He then went further, writing in another message, For Twitter to deserve public trust, it must be politically neutral, which effectively means upsetting the far right and the far left equally. Suzuki, uh, political neutrality on social media sounds perfectly reasonable to me. Uh, so what are the left so worried about? Well, I think what's most interesting, Dan, is that the people who are screaming about this and ranting or raving, they are not afraid because they fear that they will be censored or that they will be deplatformed. They fear that people who question or challenge them will not be censored or deplatformed. So a lot of people have been telling on themselves this week the fact that political neutrality is even controversial and for something for people to uh, have backlash against, they're essentially telling on themselves by admitting that they didn't believe that Twitter was previously politically neutral, nor that it should be. Yeah, indeed. Indeed, because literally all Elon Musk has actually pledged to do is uphold the laws around freedom of expression and freedom of speech. I, I just cannot understand, Zuby, why it is some sort of highly controversial position. Well, I think it's controversial because over the, a period of time, I've been on Twitter myself for 13 years, which is quite scary in itself. Okay. But over time, this platform and many others have become increasingly censorious. 
they have moved to deplatform people who primarily are on the right side of the political aisle, not exclusively people on the right side of the aisle. But this is something that slowly crept up more and more, especially around election times, especially in the USA. And so I think a lot of people have assumed that all of these big tech companies are essentially supposed to be political agents to some degree, that they're not supposed to be platforms of freedom of speech, that they're not supposed to be neutral. I think many people feel the same way about the world of music and entertainment. They feel the same about Hollywood. They feel the same about academia. They've gotten so used to this left-leaning bias, the concept of neutrality frightens them. I know, which is just so disturbing. So disturbing to me because essentially what they're saying is they want a platform where views that they don't agree with are slapped down. And something really interesting has happened on Twitter this week, Zubin. I've seen you, you tweeting about it too and Donald Trump Jr. was tweeting about it and Neil Oliver was tweeting about it too. All of a sudden, uh, the three of you have started to gain loads of followers and it seems like this is something that's happened to people who are considered at least not to be on the left uh, of the political spectrum. Nigel Farage was talking about it earlier this week too. So is this a coincidence, Zuby, or is this something Twitter has done or is it the fact that conservatives are actually returning to Twitter now that Elon Musk has revealed that well, he will be taking control of the platform? Let me tell you something really interesting, Dan. In the past 72 hours since the announcement was made that Elon Musk is going to buy Twitter, I have gained 55,000 followers what? on Twitter in the past. Days. I'm so 55, jealous. <laughs> yeah, 55,000. Now, you have to remember in January last year, I actually lost 25,000 in a very yeah. short period of time. So my account has actually been throttled. And I noticed just two, three days ago, whenever the announcement was made, that, that those limitations instantly came off. There are people commenting who were saying that they haven't, hadn't seen my posts or many others for the past two years. There are also some people who are coming back to Twitter. So there has been a boost in the users, but a lot of people who were previously shadow banned or throttled um, they no longer are. Yes, yeah, so Zuby, ex explain to me that term shadow ban, because obviously we've got to acknowledge the fact, by the way, that about 75% of the population never use Twitter because it's a, it's a hellish hellscape of uh, vile abuse on the whole. But the reason that it's really important, obviously, is because the journalists use it, the politicians use it. It is uh, the platform that drives the news agenda internationally. Uh, so this term shadow banning, I hear it a lot. What does it mean? Sure. So those people who are not on Twitter, that's very wise and intelligent of you. Yes. Um, <laughs> You're living a happier life. You're living a happier yeah. life. Let me guarantee that. <laughs> shadow banning is essentially when someone is not banned or deplatformed, but the algorithm is adjusted to turn down the volume on their account. This can make, mean that it is harder to search for them. You type in their name and it doesn't come up. This can mean that their tweets and their posts are artificially limited. So instead of going out to a thousand people, we're going to turn that down so it only goes out to 400 people. There are all sorts of methods that they can use and things they can tweak in the algorithm very subtly behind the scenes that restrict somebody's reach. It. So it's not the same as a, an outright ban. It's more like turning down the volume on them. But you know what? 
if you're gaining 55,000 followers, you must be very happy that Elon Musk has wrestled control of this platform back. Fascinating analysis, Zuby, the rapper, author, host of The Real Talk with Zuby Podcast and a social media Twitter sensation. My God. Dan Wooden here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate and review and join me for more newsmaking interviews, fiery debate and free speech on Dan Wooden tonight every Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News. Listener.